This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. Welcome everyone today to the Power of Genetics podcast. My guest today is Dr. Tom, Dr. Tom O'Brien. So thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure, real pleasure. So as you know, I'm very lucky and very blessed that every time I have a podcast, I get to interview and talk to the most extraordinary practitioners who are out in the world. And what I'm always looking for is someone who's had extraordinary, extraordinary impact, who's changed the way that we think about something, who's changed the way we do things, who changed the way we engage with things. And for those that don't know, Dr. Tom O'Brien is really one of the foremost leaders in the world of gluten and gluten sensitivity and how we view it and not just in the traditional way of of celiac and symptoms. So I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind just to tell a little bit about who you are. It really is about you, about how did this begin? Because you didn't start out as the kind of Dr. Tom Gluten. You started out somewhere else. So if you actually that journey. Oh you did? did. Yeah. Yeah. It was in my internship in 1979 that my ex and I could not get pregnant. And so I made a list of the seven most famous holistic doctors I'd ever heard of at the time. And I called their offices and asked for the office manager and explained that Hi, I'm just an intern in Chicago, but my wife and I can't get pregnant. And I'm wondering if I could schedule a few minutes with the doctor. I mean, I'm happy to send you a check or something. You don't have any money. Yeah. I'm happy to send you something if need be, but we really want to get pregnant. And every one of them said, sure, honey, you just hang on. I'll get them now. And all of a sudden, on the other end of the phone, hello, it's Dr. Goodhart. Dr. Goodhart, hi, my name's Tom O'Brien. I'm an intern in, in Chicago. Yeah, 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 Tom, what can I do for you? Well, my wife and I can't get pregnant. I'm wondering how you think about this and how you approach it. Well, have you ever heard of category one? I said, no, learn. Okay. I wrote down category <laughs> one. And every one of them just went boom, 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 boom. So I put this protocol together, and we were pregnant in six weeks. My neighbors in married housing, we lived on campus. They'd been through artificial insemination. Nothing had worked. And they asked if I'd work with them. And I said, well, you know, I don't think it's going to hurt you. Sure. They were pregnant in three months. So now we're four months pregnant. I'm starting my internship. And telling our friends, and we're so happy and sharing, you know, those pregnancy with our friends. Scans, and, right? Yeah. And our friend's sister in Wisconsin has infertility. And so she drives down from Wisconsin, and I'm treating her out of my dorm room. You're not supposed to do that, but I was. Uh-huh. And um, we came out into practice ready to help every couple successfully achieve a pregnancy and maintain a pregnancy. And we've had hundreds and hundreds of cases over the last 40 years, you know, but there's not much in medicine that's all or every, but this was every, every couple 
that had reproductive system imbalances, whether it was infertility, premature ejaculation, sperm's not swimming well enough, recurrent miscarriages, unexplained miscarriages, every couple had as a component of the triggers, they were eating foods that they didn't know were a problem for them. And those foods were causing inflammation in their body, manifesting at the weak link in their chain, which for them, was a reproductive system. You see, um, people think that if you eat something and you don't feel bad after you ate it, it's fine. It's that's okay, yeah. that's not a problem. No, for every one celiac that has gut symptoms, there are eight that don't. They've got brain symptoms or joint symptoms or skin symptoms. They don't have gut symptoms, so they eat their pizza, they eat whatever they're eating, they feel fine. Oh, I feel fine when I eat wheat. You know, it's okay. I don't have a problem. Because they don't know that the weak link in their chain is somewhere else in the body. And that's determined by genetics and antecedents. How you've lived your life up to this point. You keep eating tuna fish two to three times a week, you're going to have mercury toxicity. You know, that's just a no-brainer. That's a given, right? Yeah. And if you have mercury toxicity, that accumulates in certain tissues. So that's a weak link in your chain where your symptom pattern may manifest if you keep throwing inflammatory triggers on the fire. So I came out into practice with that passion. And you know, our first day we opened, our first day we had 33 new patients and Incredible. nothing was free, nothing was free. We did a grand opening the day before and we walked around our town and you know, uh, I, I had a partner and then my wife, the three of us had an agreement. We had to get two names every day, every day, and two addresses because there, there was no internet back then. Yeah. So, you know, if I'd come home after a long day, my wife says, did you get your two names? I said, I got one. I said, go out and get some milk. <laughs> and, and I'd have to go back out to the supermarket, you know, and, and look for somebody in the aisle or how am I going to somebody? And at the checkout counter, say, hello, welcome to Jewel. I say, hi, thanks. And uh, I say, you know, we're chiropractors and we're about to open up here in town over there in that new square, the Carillon Square. Oh, you, my back, you know, oh, every once in a while, or my husband gets these neck pains or, hey, listen, we're gonna have a grand opening. And if you give me your address and uh, we'll send you an invitation, you know, we're gonna have apple cider and donuts and we're gonna talk about what is this thing about healthcare? So we had 156 people attend. We, we got 500 names, 156 people attended, and 33 people signed up the very next day. So we, we just launched like this because people want to know, how do I get well? And they're really tired of the crisis care system, and they're starting to realize it's not a health care system. It's a crisis care system, and they want more. So um, I started off with the recognition that foods are a critical component of any chronic inflammatory disease, food selections. And wheat was the most common one. And I, I read a couple of studies and then I'd order the references in the back of the studies. And I just kept doing that. And then my jaw would drop with everything I would read. Really? For some people, schizophrenia? is reversed on a gluten, really? Just Google schizophrenia and gluten and you'll see the studies in psychiatry journals where the psychiatrists are blown away 
that when they did a gluten-free diet, 14% of schizophrenics returned to normal and they're off their medication at follow-up a year later. You, you just read that and you go, what? What? And then you read about Mayo Clinic reversing cardiomyopathy and increasing cardiac ejection fractions by 30 to 50% within two months on a gluten-free diet. And you go, what? What? Or Mayo Clinic publishing that every case, every liver biopsy where they can't identify a mechanism for the disease the person has, every single one of them, the biopsies reverse to normal on follow-up after a gluten-free diet. And you say, what? What? You know, and you just keep getting hit by the science. This is not some airy-fairy woo-woo garbage. I mean, this is hard science. You know, there's, I've got thousands of articles now because I've been reading this for 40 years, right? <laughs> oh, it's, it's weird to say 40 years, but it is. It's actually 42 years now. But you, you read the science, then nothing surprises you anymore of how a food, if your immune system says, you got a problem with that food, now just narrow it down into the 30-second version, you make antibodies to that food, and the antibodies are produced, they're special forces, and they go after a protein signature on that food. And when they go after that amino acid protein signature, because you know your bloodstream is just a highway, there's no lanes of traffic, and everything's bouncing around in there. So how do the antibodies grab onto the antigen when everything's bouncing around like bumper cars? How does that happen? They're looking for a specific amino acid signature. I call it the orange vest. And so the antibodies are looking for orange vest, if it's gluten or dairy or lectins or whatever it is. And they find it and they, they attach to it. They attack it and they destroy it. They produce the cytokines that destroy that antigen. Unfortunately, the amino acid sequence of many of our, the foods in our diet today are very similar, and it only takes eight amino acids out of hundreds in a protein, eight amino acid sequence. And the, amino, the orange vest that the antibody is going after for wheat, that eight amino acid sequence looks a whole lot like the surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream or the surface of the cerebellum facing the bloodstream. So the antibodies in the bloodstream looking for that signature, look over there, and they fire their cytokines at the thyroid. Now you get damaged thyroid cells. And so you make more thyroid antibodies to get rid of the damaged thyroid cells. Now that's not a problem. That's why we're still here today. But you have toast for breakfast and a sandwich for lunch and pasta for dinner and croutons on your salad, day after week after month after year after year. And if your genetic vulnerability is thyroid amino acid uh, molecular mimicry, eventually you develop Hashimoto's. That's a, or you develop that's rheumatoid arthritis, or you develop gluten ataxia, where your cerebellum is shrank, or you develop multiple sclerosis. That's what my docu-series, Betrayal, the Autoimmune Disease I was going to ask solution. you about that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what so it's all about. about. That's what it's let's, all let's about. Let's go back. So, so you start off as you open this great practice. You manage to, I love the story about how you get this. So you manage to get this, and you start off as a practitioner and you've had this amazing experience of understanding the power of food 
and what it can do. And you realize that wheat is definitely one of the, the trigger foods. But we're sitting 42 years later and we have um, best-selling books, two of them that I know of. There are probably a few more. You've got the Dr. Com website where you're doing educational courses and teaching and training. And you've got your own series. Now, by me, that's like, that's really when you hit it. Like when I've got my own series, then I've kind of arrived. So tell me how you go from being this chiropractor in a, 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 a town where you're like looking to open a practice to having this ability to, obviously it's, it's, it starts with extraordinary conviction and passion, which comes through so beautifully and so clearly, but what is the journey that gets you there? How do you wake up in the morning and say, well, I think I'm going to have a series. What I want to share is with people who, who are starting out, who are attending IFM, who are studying functional medicine, who are dreaming of changing healthcare. How do you get there? What is that step when you... Really simple, really, really simple. You just put yourself in the chair doing the exercises of exploring the genetics of your soul. What is it that fires you up? What is it that you just got to do in life? You know, when my son was thinking about what university to go to at 17, he was brilliant, Mensa, brilliant. And I said to him, Jason, I don't care if you go to college. I don't care. And he went like this, what? <laughs> but, you know, I, love, I love when I can catch his mind because it's so yeah. rare. That kid's been working me since he was one hour old, right? <laughs> I said, I really don't care, man. If you look at a brick wall and you say, wow, how'd they do that? And you're thinking about brick walls and you're looking at brick walls when you're driving and you're looking for books on brick walls, you go find the best brick wall maker there is. I'll finance you for a year or so while you check it out or I'll, I'll finance college, but you know, if you really got this thing for brick walls, or if you got to do rock and roll, I mean, really, man, you just got to do rock and roll, and it's in your blood, you go do rock and roll, I'll finance you to get you on your feet. But if you don't have something that grabs you by the nuts, excuse me, but grabs you and won't let go, you go to school, because that's where you get more exposure than anywhere else. And my prayer, is that you find something that you just got to do with your life. You just got to do this. You, and it doesn't matter if you make money at it or not. And as long as you're not hurting people, you'll have a great life. You'll have a great, you'll be happy. You'll raise a great family. You'll be well taken care of. So my Mensa son, who now is 38, has been ranked San Diego's number one bartender three times. That's his passion. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I did not see and that coming. Just go to Rob Report, with a very fancy magazine that talks about multi-million dollar boats and cars and all that. Yeah. They've got the best of the best. And they have Jason doing videos and articles on craft cocktails. And just read one of his articles. You go, oh my God, this is really well. Really? These Carthusian monks, 132 different herbs in this liqueur? Really? And these monks don't talk. They never talk, ever. They just grow herbs and make this liqueur. And they've been doing it for 300 years. Really? Is this real? Wow. And you read this stuff and you go, oh, my God, this is really cool. He's following his passion in life. Amazing. Right? You know, so you want to impact on the world. 
you grab a hold of your balls and find out what is it that I've just got to do. And it doesn't come right away sometimes, but no. if you put yourself no. in the chair and you just quiet your mind, maybe a little prayer, maybe a little meditation, maybe silent walking meditation, you know, whatever works for you, just quiet your mind and see what comes up. And I'll give you one more analogy that can help. I've gone back to my alma mater and lectured. Now I'm unfortunately out of the country. I don't do it anymore, but for 30 years. And I lectured to the first trimester, how to do school successfully. And I lecture at the eighth trimester, just before they go into clinic, how to open a successful practice. And one of the things on opening a successful practice, now this was back before internet, most of this, these mm -hmm. talks. So I'd say one hour a week, you give me one hour a week for a year and I can guarantee you'll open a successful practice. I can guarantee it. And for one hour, you set your alarm every Tuesday night, you know, when you're in the library studying, alarm goes off, you just pause your study, get up and walk up and down the aisles of the periodicals and look at the Journal of the American Medical Association, the American Osteopathic Journal, the British Journal of Nutrition, Obstetrics and Gynecology, just look at all the journals. And so it's, oh, I wonder what the articles are. And you grab one and you just look at the index of the articles and you put it back and then you just grab the, oh, oh, that sounds like an interesting article. Go sit down and read it. And when the alarm goes off in an hour, you're done. Next week, you just walk up and down the aisle of the periodicals. You're exposing yourself to a world of new opportunities and just see what captures your interest. And I can guarantee you, within six to eight weeks of doing this, one hour a week, you're going back and looking for more articles on that same topic. Really, conjugated linoleic acid, you lose one pound a week just by taking CLA because you're burning more fat, the stored fat, really? And you're reading more about CLA, or you're reading more about coenzyme Q10, the different forms of CoQ10, or you're reading more about a spinal adjustment, or you're reading more about an exercise for your pec minor. And within six months, you've read six or eight articles on that one topic that none of your peers have read any of the current articles. You now are the expert. And you talk about this, you know, do you know that pec minor that, you know, you see somebody with their shoulder rolled forward and, you know, the pec minor is really hypertensive right now and the rhomboids aren't quite holding back and you're... And your friends go, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, when they've got a shoulder injury coming in, they're, they're going to send them to you because you're the guy or the gal. You're the gal. So, but the only way you can find what grabs you and won't let go is to put yourself in the chair or walk down the aisle. Now, today, you, you just go online and, you know, you type in topics for PubMed and they send you every article that comes out on that topic. And my inbox is flooded every day. I've got five topics right now that I'm looking at. So there's new papers every day on the five topics that I'm interested in. You know, you just, it's not hard. And you don't have to go to the library anymore because we now have the not internet. Done. No. But the, it's the same concept. You just have to put yourself in the chair. You know, um, I'm smiling a lot. I wish this was video and not just audio podcast because you have such an amazing way of speaking and animating. So do you know uh, the author Daniel Pink? He wrote this extraordinary book called To Sell is Human. Ah. And he talks about selling, you know, that health practitioners, we're particularly awful at selling. 
we don't believe in our value. And so we feel like we need to apologize every time we charge someone for our great wealth and wisdom of knowledge. And he talks about no matter who you are, whatever job you do, you're selling. So when a patient comes into your practice or you're going to the supermarket to get someone else's name, you're selling. When you're trying to get someone to stop eating wheat or gluten, you're selling. And that all of us as practitioners really understand that our role is actually a sales role because what we're trying to do is, is impart that wisdom. And to do that, we need to sell it. And I just want to say that I have never met anyone who was such a brilliant salesperson with such passion. And I've spoken to some extraordinary practitioners that you, know, you bring to thank it. You. Thank, thank you so much for that. There's two things I would say that. First, everybody has to watch the video. Ain't nobody got time for that. Just watch that video and you'll laugh and laugh and laugh. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm writing it down. And the second one to watch, it's uh, six minutes. The first one's about three minutes. The second video is The Price of Admission by Dan Savage. You watch those two videos and it starts to set a context for you. And it took a couple of times of patients who didn't want to spend the money for the things I was recommending and I felt bad and, you know, okay, well, I'll try to help you anyway, you know, whatever you want. And then a couple of weeks, a month, two months later, I see them on, in the shopping center or something. And they've got a deep tan. They're just back from two weeks in Mexico. And I, that, that's when I realized, okay. And that's when I started. And I recommend testing to people. My mentors taught me, you don't test to kind of look everywhere to see what's going on. You test to confirm what you suspect. And if they refuse to do the test because insurance won't pay for it, I write in the file, patient refuses to do this test because of finances. Okay, here, please sign this. Well, why, why would I sign that? Because you're asking me to work with one hand behind my back and I'll do the very best I can, but I'm not responsible if you die or you, you get rheumatoid arthritis in two years because you didn't follow my recommendation. I'm not gonna be responsible for that. I'll, I'll give you my best with one hand tied behind my, no, no, okay, doc, I'll do the test, I'll do the test, good. And if they won't do the test, sometimes, well, actually, you know, I did this. I put a panel together in 1997. It was IgG, IgA, and IgM to alpha-glidin, one of the peptides of wheat, poorly digested wheat, gluteomorphins, another peptide of poorly digested wheat, caseomorphins, milk butyrophilins, both from dairy, egg, corn, and soy, myelin-based protein, cerebellum gangliosides, and transglutaminase 2, IgA, IgG, IgM, on all of those. And the lab charged me $530 for the test. I charged the patients $530 for the test. And if they refused to do that test, because I was doing research, and I had 316 patients between the ages of 2 and 90 that I did that test on, every patient that came in irrespective of what they presented with, every single patient. And if they didn't want to do the test, they didn't want to pay for it, I had printed out a list of three other doctors in the area, really good doctors. Here's a couple of doctors that I'd suggest for you. What? Well, no, I want to see, no, I'm sorry, I'm doing this research, and I do believe this is going to give me information to help you. But if you want to do it, that's fine. Please go, Here, here's a couple of good doctors. No, 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 I'll do the test. Good. All right. When I did that, 68% of everything that came into the office had elevated antibodies to wheat. 68% of everything, seven out of 10. 
If they had elevated antibodies to wheat, and this was 1997 when the tests weren't as comprehensive. As accurate as they are now, yeah. If they had elevated antibodies to wheat, 26% of them had elevated antibodies to their cerebellum. 22% had elevated antibodies to myelin basic protein. That means somewhere between 20 and 25% of everyone with elevated antibodies to a peptide of wheat have elevated antibodies to their brain. Now, fast forward to today, and the tests are called the Zoomers. They're the highest mm -hmm. quality tests. And do the wheat Zoomer and NeuroZoomer Plus, you don't have a patient come back negative on the NeuroZoomer Plus. Every single patient on a first test has elevated antibodies in their brain killing off brain cells, killing off brain cells, killing off brain cells. Well, I feel fine. Well, just, we'll just wait a few years, and then we'll see. After you kill off enough brain cells, you're not going to feel fine anymore. This is a marker of the inflammatory cascade going on in your body right now. Do you want to stop it now, or, or do, you want, do you want to wait till you're a bozo brain? You're right? <laughs> and, well, okay, doc, okay, I'll do the test. And then they're, they're scared. They're really scared. Blue Cross Blue Shield came out in February of 2020 with a booklet that said, we got a problem. And Blue Cross Blue Shield is the largest um, health, insur health, health insurance, insurance company right? in the yeah. U.S. and maybe in the world. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They said, we have a problem. There's been a 407% increase between 2013 and 2017 of four years, a 407% increase in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's in 30 to 45 year olds, in four wow. years. The brain is a canary in the coal mine. And every single one of you practitioners should be doing the NeuroZoomer Plus on your patients because cognitive decline is going through the roof and is coming at earlier and earlier ages okay. because the younger generations started off in bad shape. Uh, we, we were a little more blessed back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. There wasn't as much brain damage because mom is just a walking sewage dump. Excuse me, but you know I gotta be blunt, we don't have a lot of time here. Mom is accumulating so many toxic chemicals from the phthalates and the nail polish, from the phthalates on the lid to the coffee cup when you drink coffee, from the plastic containers that you store your leftover food in, the phthalates are in the food within 24 hours, and the list goes on and on and on so that all of the toxins that our body, if we can't detox them and get rid of them, they accumulate in the fat tissue. Why do you think, especially women, have such wide thighs and wide buttocks? Because that's where the brown fat is. And it holds the disrupting chemicals. And right. we're just seeing it all the time now. And these are inflammatory chemicals. Almost everyone's inflamed. So I'm, I'll pause now. I realize I'm, an un, I'm a bit of a role. <laughs> you are, but I love it. I absolutely love it. As I said, I don't think for in 42 years you've lost any of your passion. It seems like yeah, we'll you know, be going for a very work. long time. This is not work. Uh, thanks to my mentors. My mentors are George Goodhart, the founder of Applied Kinesiology, who would talk philosophy every weekend, every weekend with George, and he drilled it into us to ask the three-letter question, why does the patient why? have what they have? Why? Not, Not why. Uh, you have high blood, high blood pressure or you have, you have high cholesterol. They're giving you statins. Well, I'm going to give you coins on Q10. Okay. That's a nice Band-Aid. But, but why? why do they have high cholesterol? Well, because the liver 
makes cholesterol. And if you're under high stress, the raw material for your stress hormones is cholesterol. And so you need more raw material to deal with the more stress hormones that you're making. That's one reason for, there are many reasons, of course. But I mean, that brings us back to functional medicine. I mean, that's essentially it, which is why. I mean, if we yeah, have to- Exactly, so George was put, saying it yeah. in his own way back mm -hmm. in the 70s, the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. The and then my the other mentor was Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who I was oh, in yeah. first talk in Chicago in 1978. I was there and it, I, I've been listening to him ever since. And you know, between those two thought leaders, it just, I've always been a catalyst. I've always been a catalyst. And I get great joy out of seeing the look on people's faces when their eyes are about to bulge out of their head and they see the study and they go, what? What? And then they go, yeah. what? <laughs> it's paradigm shifting. Um, it is and paradigm I, shifting. I get great joy out of shifting people's paradigms. Well, actually, I don't do it. I give them the information so they can wrestle with it. And I always say this, you know, I hope everyone that's listening is skeptical. I really hope so. Skepticism means I'm not sure I buy that. I'm going to look into it a little bit more. Cynicism means I don't buy that. It's a bunch of hogwash. I'm not wasting my time. And unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with with this current immune crisis in our world today is we don't have many skeptics. We've got a whole lot of cynics. And it's causing this diversion and this divisiveness in the world. And it's unfortunate. But so I'm hoping everyone will be skeptical about this. Listen to this once or twice. Read my books and, and just go, what? Go back to the science and say, what? I'm going to start doing that now. Whenever I see a great study, I'm going to go, what? And I'm going to think of you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. So I could listen to you for a very long time, but I'm very cognizant of the time. We do try to keep it a bit short. So I am going to bring us round to my world. You have mentioned the world of genetics a little bit. And the one term that you did say, which I am going to take home with me, which is genetics of the soul. That's a whole different story. But let's, let's just come back to my world of, of genetics and nutrigenomics, which is a very similar journey of discovery, understanding, growth, improvement. You know, what the tests that we had 20 years ago are not the tests we have now. You know, I've had the same experience. I opened a clinic and said, you know, if you don't do a genetic test, I'm not seeing you as a patient. Go down the corner. Very similar experience. What is your impression? What is your sense of the role that genetics plays in what you're experiencing, what you're seeing, healthcare, the, thing, the way things are changing? I think genetics play a significant role. I think they're a second tier test. I don't think they're a first tier test unless there's a family history of cystic fibrosis or something like that, because there are some genes, if you got the gene, you've got a big problem. But for most of our chronic diseases of today, if you've got the gene, it means it's a weak link in your chain. And a weak link in the chain means you pull at a chain, it always breaks at the weakest link. It's at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your methylation, your joints, your skin, whatever, but wherever the weak link is. So don't pull on the chain so hard. So what does that mean, pulling on the chain? Now we know, thanks to Alessio Pisano and his team at Harvard, that there are five pillars in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases, five pillars. And they all play a significant role. Fasano, for those that don't know, is the chief of pediatric gastroenterology at Mass General, 
professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School, professor of nutrition, Harvard School of Public Health, the director of the Celiac Research Center, and the director of mucosal immunology at Harvard. And this guy has five titles where any one title is a lifetime goal for someone at the top of their field. And he's got five. He's always very careful of his language, so he doesn't get misquoted. But the paper they came out with last year, and everyone needs to read this paper, just look it up. All disease begins in the, quote, leaky gut. That's the title of the paper. All disease begins in the, quote, leaky gut. The role of zonulin in chronic inflammatory diseases. And he says there are five pillars in the development of all chronic inflammatory diseases. And what comes into your, your office that's not a chronic inflammatory disease? Well, acute trauma, car accidents, or falls and broken bones. What else? Not much. Most everything much. else comes from chronic Anything inflammation. Anything chronic is inflammatory, yeah. So what are the five pillars that we, as clinicians, we need to know all five pillars. Number one, genetics. You can't do anything about your genes. But the one thing that I say about genetics is that genes don't turn on and off. We used to say that a long time ago. Rather, they're on a dimmer switch. And you ramp them up so they're brighter for inflammation or anti-inflammation. Or you dim them down for inflammation or anti-inflammation. They're on a dimmer switch. Yep, so what's it. controlling the dimmer switch? We started using this term in the early 2000s, epigenetics. Genetics, yeah. What's happening around the genes? Not the genes. What's happening around the genes? What's, what, and that's number two of Fasano's five pillars, which is environmental triggers. Mm -hmm. The environmental triggers have their hands on the dimmer switch, turning it up or calming it down for all of our genes. And the environmental triggers are what's on the end of your fork, what you're breathing, the stress hormones living. you produce, the way you live. So uh, internal yeah. hormones Let's that you're see. producing are environmental triggers. That's environmental triggers. Number three of the five pillars is an altered microbiome from those environmental triggers, dysbiosis. And everybody knows here on a functional medicine podcast more about that. But when you have dysbiosis, you create an inflammatory gut, which opens up number four, pathogenic intestinal permeability, the leaky gut. Which is the Intestinal leaky permeability gut. is not bad for you. That's how we absorb our nutrients. Excessive it's when it's intestinal pathogen. permeability is yeah. a problem. And then number five, the macromolecules going through the leaky gut activate a systemic immune response trying to protect you from whatever it is that got into your bloodstream. And here yeah. comes molecular mimicry, and now you're going after your thyroid. Here comes molecular mimicry, and now you're going after myelin-basic protein, you're going after the cerebellum, you're going after the surface of your joints, and all of the autoimmune diseases. That's the big picture concept. Now, the way that I personally use genetics in my practice is if I suspect, as an example, there are some deficits in detox function. I might run a detox genetic panel and see, oh, Mrs. Patient, these are the weak links in your chain. So let's check them out now. You know, the one that so many of us have heard about in the past, MTHFR, you know, the whole weekends were devoted and have been devoted to that, which Entire is great. companies have been devoted to MTHFR. 
but okay, so you've got the genes. So what? So what? Is it is it ramped up or not? Well, what are the biomarkers? Well, you can do mm -hmm. methylmalonic acid, you can do formino-glutamic acid, very simple biomarkers of accurate utilization of B12, folate. So you can find out with some biomarkers, is that gene active now? Is that an active weak, weak link in my chain? How's it expressing it? Yes. So we, we don't treat based on genetics. We explore more to see if that gene is expressing itself. So that's the role that I think genetics play. And I think as we get so much more advanced and the costs come down, that yeah. it's much yeah. easier now to do a panel of genetic panel, especially if you have an accurate family history and you know there's some chronic inflammatory diseases mm -hmm. in the family mm -hmm. that patient's concerned about. It's easy. Well, Mrs. Patient, you've got the APOE4 gene. And this is not great. Uh, this is the gene that increases your risk of developing Alzheimer's. Doesn't mean you're getting Alzheimer's. It Doesn't means that's mean a you're weak link in your chain. It yeah. means it's a weak link in your chain. So here are the biomarkers that we're going to look at on a regular basis to make sure that that chain's not being pulled too tight. And then you do the NeuroZoomer Plus, or you do an 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine, you know, or you do urine lipid peroxides. You, you look for biomarkers of brain inflammation. Yeah. And then you guide your patient from the biomarkers, from the, the temperature gauges on the dashboard of their body versus their wiring, versus their genetics. You, my opinion, you don't treat based on genetics. You explore you based on genetic vulnerabilities. Yeah. So we'll, we'll finish off now. So I talk about insight and action. Insight is your genetic code. It gives you some sense of vulnerabilities and weak links. Right. Action is gene expression. And it is my opinion that the future of nutrition and an entire nutrition profession should be replacing dietetics that is based on how do we manage gene expression, not plugging holes, which is what dietetics do. So I think we're on the same page. So I said, genetics gives us insight, but action, the interventions is based on gene expression. So I, I, think I that's agree great... with what you're saying. Unfortunately, I'm a little biased because I cut my teeth and came up through the world of wheat-related disorders. And all of our gastroenterologists and immunologists think HLA-DQ2 and DQ8 are the genes for celiac disease. And so if you don't have those genes, you don't have a problem with wheat. Not at that's all. Yeah, I completely nonsense. agree with you. That's, that's absolute nonsense. nonsense. So all it is is a, it's just a flag. That's all it is. It's, right. it's but, a flag, but, it's a flag but it doesn't mean any, exactly. It doesn't mean that if you don't have it and then you don't have celiac, that there isn't a problem. So to your point, so I think people misunderstand the HLA genes hugely. They think it's a diagnostic test that is like binary and gives you ultimate answers around wheat. And I completely agree with you. I see it as a, um, a small flag and that's all. Yeah. That's a good place to end. Okay. <laughs> we'll not <in> agree because <laughs> we could carry on talking. Dr. Tom, thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely amazing listening to you. But like this one-on-one -on -one audience of, of listening to your story. I really, really appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing you at a live in-person conference sometime in the near future. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. And for all of our listeners out there, Godspeed on your journey to the genetics of your soul.
genetics of your soul. Love that. I think I'm going to change the podcast name. Maybe. Maybe not. All right, Dr. Tom. Thank you so much. Bye-bye for today. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.